0: This is case 76 from the Hekigan Loku. Tansyas, have you eaten yet? The pointer. Fine as rice powder, cold as icy frost. It blocks off heaven and earth and goes beyond light and dark. Observe it where it's low and there's extra. Level it off when it's high and there is not enough. Holding fast and letting go are both here. But is there a way to appear or not? To test, I'm citing this old case. Look, the main case. Tansia asked the monk, Where have you come from? The monk said, From down the mountain. Tansia said, Have you eaten yet or not? The monk said, I have eaten. Tansia said, Did the person who brought you the food to eat have eyes or not? The monk was speechless. Changqing later on asked Pao Fu To give someone food to eat is an ample requital of the death of kindness. Why wouldn't he have eyes? Pao Fu said, Giver and receiver are both blind. Chang Ching said, If they exhaust their activities, would they still turn out blind? Pao Fu said, Can you say that I'm blind? The verse Chung Ching exhausts his activity. Pao Fu does not become blind. Like holding down an ox's head to make, to make it eat grass. 28 and 6 patriarchs, their precious vessel is brought forth. But it turns out to be an error. The error is profound. There is no place to look for it. Gods and humans sink down together on dry land. The aim of spiritual practice, spiritual path, is to lead the practitioner to a state of being in alignment with reality, the source, original self, God, which means to connect with what's inherently there, or to live in alignment in accord with our inherent state of being. But while it is meant to lead us home and remind us who we really are, it appears that the journey is quite demanding and persistent, and it is stirring up a lot of emotional dust that raises feelings of discomfort and resistance. What is it that makes the practice so challenging at times? What is it really asking us, or asking of us? Some people say that there is a lot of, of stuff going on in their lives and they don't have time or energy to keep up with spiritual practice, and it's definitely easy to understand and relate to that because it is true that most of us have a lot going on. But the challenge of sustaining a practice for many years has very little to do with time or limitations and obligations we all have. As long as we sustain a strong resolve, there is always a way to maintain a consistent practice and there is always time, we always find time, busy or not. So where is the issue? After his enlightenment experience, the Buddha laid down the foundation for his teaching with the Four Noble Truths as the recognition of the disease and the Eightfold Path as a way to point to the remedy. And it all began with a simple statement that life is dukkha, which is often translated as suffering, but it may be better to understand this as unsatisfactory or there is an underlying sense of restlessness and unease. Being subjected to impermanence, old age, decay, and death are all inevitable consequences of the physical body we inhabit. Obviously, this is a known fact of life which everyone is aware of, everyone shares, yet many of us find it difficult to accept and live with. The second noble truth is alluding to the underlying reason for the root of our disease and dissatisfaction. Grasping and attachment. We latch on to our bodies, to our loved ones, our homes, our opinions, our jobs, our possessions, education, memories of past events, aspirations about the future, a sense of security, and ultimately we attach to life itself. Although we know very clearly that all of it is fleeting, we still grasp onto it as if the strength of our grip can have any impact on what will eventually happen or what is happening while we grasp. And so if grasping is the cause, then letting go is clearly the remedy. But since we are so heavily conditioned, this is easier said than done. That's where training comes in. That's the source of the resistance, essentially. And this is is where we need to apply right effort, stoke our motivation, and sustain the level of our determination. Buddhism speaks of six ways to hone our ability to curb the power of our grasping mind. These are known as the six paramitas. Paramita means perfection, but in its origin, the word paramita means that which goes beyond or to go beyond habitual and karmic harmful propensities. It may be important to note here that the word perfection points to a dynamic process of continuous refinement rather than a fixed idea of perfectionism. The six paramitas are dana Paramita, the perfection of generosity, sila Paramita, the perfection of morality through upholding precepts, Ksanti Paramita, perfection of patience, Virya Paramita, perfection of energy and courage, Janna Paramita, perfection of meditation, and Prajna Paramita, the perfection of wisdom. And the order of this list is not random. With us strongly emphasized the first one, Danna Paramita, as an entry point to the path, since it goes to the heart of our grasping nature and it is asking us to face it from the get-go if we want to experience any deepening on a spiritual path. It is an essential seed for spiritual development. Danna Paramita is not just asking us to be nice, kind and generous people. Oh, to constantly look for ways to volunteer our time and resources. It is going way deeper than that. Way deeper, way beyond conceptual good and bad. It is saying that through the cultivation of giving as a way of being, we can realize that, our truth, that our, the source of our stinginess is a reflection of the deluded grasping mind, and the capacity for generosity is a reflection of our true nature in other words there's nothing special about it dana paramita is the perfection of an inherent virtue that corresponds with wisdom and compassion bhikkhu Bodhi wrote viewed as the quality of generosity giving has a particularly intimate connection with the entire movement of the buddha's path For the goal of the path is the destruction of greed, hate, and delusion. And the cultivation of generosity directly debilitates greed and hate while facilitating that pliancy of mind that allows for the eradication of delusion. And the key word here is pliancy. The first teaching of the Eightfold Path is right understanding which simply means to see things as they are and not as they appear through the scope of our conditioned mind. When we stop running around in automatic mode and take time to observe ourselves and our environment for a bit, we will all arrive at the same obvious conclusion. Reality in its totality is constantly changing. Nothing remains the same or fixed even for a second. So if we are willing to truly embrace this conclusion, then we can be a bit more open to the terrifying truth, underlying terrifying truth, that I am nothing but change. Or I can never be what I think I am. Which means I am not what I think, and this truth is terrifying and liberating at the same time. So of course, we want it to be only liberating. But it has to be terrifying before it can be experienced as liberating. And being that I am nothing but change, we can understand that words like pliable, nimble, flexible, flowing are a reflection of an awakened mind. And words like rigid, unyielding, fixed, stagnant are a reflection of a deluded mind. And these are not just words. These are experiences. This is how we experience our life. This is how we experience reality. There's a lot of resistance. And it's not wrong to feel resistance. It's just that when we feel resistance, we know what to do. Or we know what we're not doing. And that's what Bhikkhu Bodhi means when he says that Facilitating pliancy of mind allows for the eradication of delusion. A flexible mind manifests as generosity and a stagnant mind manifests as stinginess. Right understanding gives rise to wisdom and wisdom gives rise to generosity which is the antidote to greed, hatred and delusion. Generosity is a key to enlightenment, There are numerous ways to give and there are many things that can be offered as gifts. But the ultimate gift is the gift of self, which is given by becoming blind to the separation between self and other. And how does this kind of generosity show up in our lives? Giving ultimately is letting go, which is the aspect of letting go of ourselves on a most fundamental level, which obviously happens sooner or later to everyone, whether it's our possessions, loved ones, or the body itself. Geshe Sonan Richen wrote, It is better to let go now before death forces our hand. There is still time, there is still time, to extract some essence from what we own by using it for the good of others. Though we are not yet ready to sacrifice body and life, we can develop greater willingness to part with what is ours. Give what you can now and make a strong wish to become able to let go of what you find most difficult to relinquish. Hakuin said, better die now than later. Better give it now than later. Or why not give it now, since it is already given? This koan has two parts. It begins with a dialogue between Tansia and a monk. And then it brings up another dialogue which took place about 100 years later between two Dharma brothers, Changqing and Pao Fu. Tan Xia, Tianjian, 8th century China, was a disciple of Shitu, who was the Dalma grandson of Huineng, the sixth patriarch of Zen. And Shitu actually was the composer of the Sandokai, Sameness and Differences, which we chant regularly and we talked about a few weeks ago. Record a few words about Tansia. According to some stories, Tansia was a free spirited guy. He first studied Confucianism and was introduced to Zen while on a journey to take an exam for an official government post. He first en- encountered the great Basso, who looked at him and said, I am not your teacher. Your place is with Shitu. After spending some time with Shitu and being ordained by him, Tansia traveled back to Basso's monastery, entered directly into the Buddha Hall, climbed up a big statue of Manjushri and sat on his shoulders. The monks, as you can imagine, were quite astonished by this behavior and went to get Basso. When Basso came in and saw that, he said, My son, Tianjan, which means the natural. Tansia climbed down and said to Basso, Thank you for giving me my Dharma name. Later on, when Tansia was traveling to study with different masters, he stayed at the monastery during a very cold night. When the fire in, in the stove died out, he took down a wooden statue of the Buddha, put it in the fire, and warmed himself up. When the priest saw that the next day, he was quite upset and chastised him. Tansia said, I am going to go and get from the ashes the Buddha's bones. The priest said, you can't get the bones of the Buddha from a piece of wood. Tansya said, well then if it's just a piece of wood, why are you chastising me for burning it? Free-spirited. When Tansya was 85 years old, he said to his disciples, today I am starting my journey. He got dressed, put on his hat and shoes, And before taking one step, he died. Today I am beginning my journey. It's a wonderful way to understand a beginner's mind. So this koan begins with a conversation with two common probing questions. Where have you come from? The monk said, from down the mountain. Have you eaten yet or not and the monk said yes i have and then he asked an unusual question did the person who brought you the food to eat have eyes or not that's where the monk was stopped the question have you eaten yet is the same as asking have you had realization yet or not Joshua will tell you, if you said yes, Joshua will tell you, go wash your balls. So there's no remnant of realization left and you're not carrying any trace of it around. Which, of course, is essential advice to any opening we experience on the path, in the practice. But in this case, Tantia is asking a different question. He is going back to the source of the food or the person who brought the food and the way it was given. And while they may not be talking about food, they're also talking about preparing and serving food. I often think about how food is such an essential part of everybody's life and how it can bring everyone together on a deeply uniting level and cut through all our differences. Giving and receiving food has the power, has the power to quell discrimination and hatred. And since it's such an essential aspect of our life, it can blind us so we may no longer be caught up by seeing different colors or appearances in other people. Who doesn't eat? Who doesn't need to eat? You can have a bunch of people from different cultures, different languages, sitting and sharing a meal with joy. How is this possible? You know, we, we've been dealing with these horrific consequences of racial discrimination on a very, for a very long time. And again, these days, it is coming to a head with the death of George Floyd and, of course, the consequent uproar and anger all over the country. And discrimination and bigotry are direct result of our blindness to unity, which creates the, the illusion that we are essentially different. And that illusion is the source of ignorance and hatred. The spiritual path is a way to close the eyes that can only see differentiation and open the eye that sees unity. Danna Paramita, the practice of giving, is the most direct and efficient way to facilitate this process of seeing beyond our conventional eyes. Giving, just giving, The same way that food is a universal language, so is realization. The way food is given and the way the Buddha Dharma is expressed and transmitted share the same purity. So the question, did the person who brought you the food to eat have eyes or not, is quite relevant to our practice. Whether we are talking about food or realization. In terms of practice, we tend to think of blindness and delusion and eyes opened. So so blindness is delusion and eyes open is realization. But Zen outlines five kinds of blindness. The first one is Bonkatsu or the blindness of the ordinary unenlightened person or ignorant. Such a person has no eyes whatsoever as far as the Dharma is concerned. So that's the first level of blindness. The second, Jakatsu, obstruction blindness, which includes all deluded thoughts, philosophies, and distinctions which prevent us from seeing things as they are, or really are. So it is not simply a matter of lacking an enlightened eye. We are prevented from seeing clearly by all the collected philosophy and thoughts accumulated in our heads. So in a way, we blind ourselves at that level. The third one is Mikatsu, still blind, the blindness of a person who has yet to see the truth although he is devoting himself wholeheartedly to practice. And the term idiot compassion may apply here well. The fourth one, Shokatsu, or authentic blindness, when we encounter the essential world we can see that you can see nothing because there is nothing to see total darkness and this is the same as in dogens body and mind dropping away it is authentic but it's not yet real blindness and the fifth one shinkatsu true blindness at this point even the eye of satori is blind we have completely forgotten such unusual matters as satori and become completely became completely ordinary at this point this is considered the highest form of blindness and this is the same as dogen's the dropping away of body and mind must also drop away so examining the complexity of spiritual blindness we can see the depth of Xia's question, did the person who gave you the food have eyes or not? In other words examine giving. A hundred years later this case was picked up as a teaching point by Changqing and Pao Fu and then Chang asked Pao Fu to give someone food to eat is an ample requital of the debt of kindness. Why wouldn't he have eyes? And Sekida commented on this saying, Secho, who is the compiler of the Blue Cliff Record, took special interest in this question, regarding it as the most important part of this koan. Then he goes on to say, as part of their routine activities, Zen monks go begging. And this is called Takuhatsu. It is not begging in the ordinary sense. They receive food and other, other things with an empty mind, which means there's no personal discrimination about the giver, the gift or the receiver. There's no thought of charity or generosity. Emptiness also pertains to what is given, and they are not, and nothing is evaluated. So, a penny and a thousand dollars are regarded as equal. Just think about that line. A penny and a thousand dollars are regarded as equal. How challenging is it to actually experience this? How challenging is it to get out of our contractual way of giving and receiving? Or what, what is left behind after the action of giving and receiving happen how much trace do we leave behind what is true giving we go to the store pick up some stuff hand in our credit card check out is that giving and receiving we have to examine maybe it is maybe it's not what kind of mind is giving and what kind of mind is receiving and how do we work with what was given how do we value that what about the bag that all the food goes into what about the shopping cart what about the surroundings what about all of it all of it is given all of it can be appreciated but then again we have to ask who is appreciating who is giving what is being given and who is receiving Paofu said giver and receiver are both blind and Changqing said if they exhausted their activity would they still turn out to be blind. And Pafu ended this by saying, can you say that I am blind? In a state of true giving, there are no gaps and there is no place for contemplations or comparisons. True giving is free of contractual transactions and there is only the action with nobody, nobody, to take any credit for it. Nobody to say, I gave you this, how come you did not give me something back? Or I gave you this and you threw it away and you trashed it and you did not value it and appreciate it. Then what? Maybe we become jaded. Maybe we don't trust people anymore. Maybe we don't trust giving. Maybe we think giving is pointless. Until we give it all, all this is going on in our heads. And we calculate, and we examine, and we compare, and we remember, and then we hold grudge. When somebody is asking us something, this person becomes a teacher of giving. And what do we do? Look for a teacher. At that moment, we have to examine. Our hesitancy to give. And when we feel that there is some level of hesitancy, then it's not a source of feeling bad or guilt. It's just a pointer. Here is what I need to practice. Here is how the resistance shows up. And here is where I need to apply some correct or right effort. Here is the teaching. In front of my face. In front of my eyes. Do I heed the advice? Or am I looking for a place to study the Dharma? Everywhere. Everywhere is a place to study the Dharma. And everybody is teaching it. Everybody. Deluded or enlightened. Everybody is teaching us the Dharma. What is the practice? Bodhidharma in his outline of practice said, Since what is real includes nothing worth begrudging, we give our bodies, our lives, and our property in charity without regret, without the vanity of giver, gift, or recipient, and without the bias of attachment. To get rid of our abstractions, we teach others, but without becoming attached to appearances. Thus, while we ourselves practice, we are able to help others as well as to glorify the path of enlightenment. And as we charity, so do we also practice the other five paramitas. But while practicing the six paramitas to eliminate delusion, we practice nothing at all. This is what is meant by practicing the Dharma. We practice nothing at all because we are nothing at all. But until we give that one here there is no understanding, there is no experience of being nothing at all. In fact, being nothing at all is a threat. It is a terrifying threat. Until we pass through that. And then it is nothing but freedom. Nothing but liberation. Think about it. How many times a day Disappears either by thought or action all around us. And the advice is give, give, give. But don't give with any, don't give by being blind to what's going on, because then again, that is idiot compassion. Give, keeping the eyes open, then there is real blindness. Question is which eye is open the verse says "Changqing exhausts his activity powerful doesn't become blind like holding down an ox's head to make it eat grass 28 and 6 patriarchs their precious vessel is brought forth but it turns out to be an error The the error is profound there is no place to look for it Gods and humans sink down together on dry land. So, people used to feed grass to the head of an ox as an offering to their ancestors during memorial services. But since the ox was dead, it would be of no use to try to force feed it. And this is referring to Chang Ching who believed that the the increasing acts of giving will speed up the awakening process. Well, this is also, in a way, contractual, right? I will do more of it and then I will arrive at realization quicker or accumulate merits on the path. But as the verse says, it turns out to be an error. 28th and 6th patriarchs is referring to the transmission of Buddhism from the Buddha to Huineng, the 6th patriarch. Prajnatara was the 28th in succession from the Buddha and she passed on that transmission, of the lamp, to Bodhidharma, who was the, fir- the founder of Zen and the first patriarch. And essentially, all this is just passing along what has always been inherent, or what is what we always block off. But if we look for it, it cannot be found, as it says in the verse, We exhaust the search and end up falling on dry land. We exhaust the search and still find ourselves restless, unsatisfied. We try to see that which the eye cannot see. We try to know that which is essentially unknowable. And in a way we also have to give up knowing or wanting to know. And it's quite amazing because when we give up wanting to know everything is known instantly. But not in the way we want to know it. Not in the way I want to know it. Well, if I give up I, everything is known. Chuang Tzu, Chinese Taoist master, lived 2300 years ago, said If the goat would know it is a goat, its legs would bump into one another and it would not be able to walk. If the fish knew it is fish, it would sink to the bottom of the ocean or the river. The goat, the fish, the mountain and the river know themselves in a knowledge that does not know. Only humans try to know themselves through knowledge that knows. And that's why he cannot be human in the same way that the goat is a goat, a fish is a fish, a river is a river, and a mountain is a mountain. And this is essentially, this is what we are practicing. To let go, instead of to search for something, to let go of searching for something. To let go of wanting to know, or to let go of protecting and defending. Why do we act the way we act? Why do we become so uptight about it? Why do we become so defensive so quickly? Maybe the question is, what do we do when we feel strong feelings of defensiveness arising within us? How can we use that to deepen our practice? There's so much to practice. There are so many opportunities. Right? Do not waste your day, your time by night or day. Do not waste your efforts. There's always something to practice. There's always something to give. There's always someone who should be given. So are we willing? Are we ready? Is today's the day? Or should we wait for tomorrow? So to know oneself without knowing This is the ultimate blindness that gives rise to the highest form of generosity. Oh, generosity could be the catalyst to truly letting go. So are we ready? That's the question for today. Thank you.